That's uh, we got to start somewhere. Old Testament will do. Major prophets. Major prophets, yes. Um, and I hope folks are enjoying the book. I told you at the beginning that I thought it was going to be an interesting book, primarily because of the personal aspect. We get to know Jeremiah a lot more than we do. Well, say for we didn't get to know Isaiah very well at all. Um, so here's our outline uh, and. We're going to do almost three sections. We're going to do uh, the sufferings of Jeremiah, which, you know, when we talk about the personal aspect, you really feel really bad for this guy. Uh, and then the fall of Jerusalem and a few events after that. A few, really just a few months, I think. And then finally, a, a section that we'll, we won't quite finish about the judgment against the nations, various nations. Uh, <clears throat> So, we'll, we'll look again at our chart of the deportations. Which are the two most important deportations on here? Well, the, the first one was quite small, wasn't it? The, 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 the Jehoahaz? Yeah. That was just one person. Yeah. So that was next two. And how about Daniel? That was just a few people, too. Yeah, but he was—he was a good guy. Okay, <laughs> important. It was important to him. <laughs> yeah, the the last two are the most important. The ten thousand at the end of Jehoiakim's reign, of course, he was one of the ones that went captive with them. And then at the end of Zedekiah's reign, nearly everybody else went. So those are the two big ones. In fact, uh, they're almost the only two that are ever talked about. Uh, in the book of Jeremiah. There is one mention of the Jehoahaz one. I don't think there's any mention of the Daniel one. So we are now, in, in our history part, we're down in, toward almost at the end here of Zedekiah. But you have to be careful because Jeremiah is not in chronological order. It jumps back. Uh, you know, you have to watch because even in this, this morning's reading, we've got some things that come from the reign of Jehoiakim back up here. Um, but most of what we're going to do today is at the very end. So the sufferings of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's scroll, and this actually, uh, who was the king when he did the, the scroll? Marsha? I was thinking of Joey's story. Yeah, okay, yeah. Now, so we're back at, to the... We're back before... Even the very first captivity that is of any moment in the, in the book. What kind of king was Jehoiakim? That, yeah, yeah. For it, it appears to me that he's worse than most, but um, I, he, uh, you know, the others weren't that good either. So hard to say. But this is back in the time of Jehoiakim. So, what did God say for Jeremiah to do in verse 2? Write this stuff down. Write this stuff down. Now, this is unusual. Uh, in the Bible, we only have a very few mentions of, of, the, of the writing of the Bible. And, and this is one of them, although, of course, this couldn't have been the whole book of Jeremiah because he was writing this back in the days of Jehoiakim. He had quite a lot, of, lot more to go in his book. But... It obviously was the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. 
except not this exact copy. Unless they sell the pieces. Well, we, we know what happened to the pieces too in this story. We'll get to that. Um, so, who did the actual writing down in verse 4? Baruch. Yeah, Baruch. We had him once before. He was the one that Jeremiah gave the, um, uh, what was it, the deed to his property. He just bought, told Baruch to put it away. Of course, that event, although we've already had that event, that event happens some years after this event. <laughs> it's, it's the difficulty of having a, a book that's more topically arranged rather than chronologically arranged. So anyway, he, he told him to write it down. And then when he got done writing it down, what else did he tell him to do? Yeah, you get to be the one that reads it. Would you like that job? Well, he knew why Jeremiah couldn't do it. So. Yeah, they didn't want Jeremiah in the temple, did they? So in verse 9, this is a special occasion. What was the occasion for this? Yeah, fast. It's not a fast in the law. This was because it's the ninth month. There wasn't anything special in that month. Um, but they had apparently proclaimed it for some reason. I don't. I don't know why, but they did. And so, I mean, if you're fasting, who are you supposed to be fasting to? To God. So, what better time to hear the words of God? So Baruch went to the temple and he read it to them. All that was going to happen, and. Um, what was the reaction he got? Linda? Yeah. Yeah, this is not good. We we gotta um, we gotta tell the king. In fact, at the end in verse seventeen, well verse sixteen says, We will surely report all these words to the king. And so then they question about, you know, where did this come from? And of course it came from Jeremiah, Baruch. Certainly told the truth about that, and um, then what they tell him to do in verse nineteen before they read the scroll to the king. Right, yeah, they, they knew this king. We already had a case where this king had sent all the way down to Egypt to grab a prophet to bring him back and kill him. And that's the adjective Jehoiakim. He's just a terrible person. Um, so then, the king wanted them to read it to him. So in verse twenty-three. What did the king do as they read this scroll to him? Yeah. As soon as they finished reading a few columns, he cut that off. Okay, we're done with that. Throw that in the fire. Keep going. And what was the answer to the people that were standing around the king at this time? Yeah, it, there was different, different attitudes. Um, some of them... They didn't care. Um, in verse 24, the king and all his servants, they didn't care. But there were a few in verse 25, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah, they were pleading with him not to do that, but he wouldn't listen. And of course, he, he commanded to go arrest Jeremiah, but um, did they get him? No, the Lord, the Lord says the Lord hid him. Um, and in verse 30, the Lord gave a, a judgment on Jehoiakim. What's going to happen to him? Yeah. Um, now, I assume this is talking long term because his immediate son was on the throne for three months. 
Um, there was something else in that verse about him. His dead body will be cast out. Yeah, his dead body will be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. That doesn't sound like a royal burial, does it? <laughs> and and what happened that see he died three months before his son Je- Jehoiakim was taken captive to Babylon. And you know that the siege against Jerusalem would have lasted longer than three months. He he died in during this siege. And we don't we have no historical reference to what happened. This is just, we have the prophecy, but we don't really have you know the story of when it happened. So you just have to figure it out from here. But this obviously happened while Nebuchadnezzar was besieging the city. Alright, so continuing on with our sufferings of Jeremiah, of course this suffering previous suffering was you know, he had to hide, which wasn't wasn't as bad as what happened, because in this chapter thirty seven he ends up getting in prison. Uh, it, it begins with um, uh, Zedekiah is now king. Of course, so we've jumped forward a, a decade, perhaps, from the, our last chapter. Um, and during this time, Nebuchadnezzar sent his army against Jerusalem, but then. In verse 5, what happened that gave the the people of Judah some encouragement? Yeah, Pharaoh's army came up. And, and of course, that's a, the biggest army that Nebuchadnezzar would have to face in that area. So, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He lifted a siege at Jerusalem. Yeah, and, and he, he went off to attack the army. You know, he had to deal with, with that first. So you can imagine that the people of Judah will be thinking, maybe God has answered our prayers. So in verse 8, what does Jeremiah tell him that the Lord is saying about this um, change of events? They'll be back. They'll capture and burn the city. Yeah, they're going to come back. Um, yeah, he says in verse 9, Do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go. <laughs> Then, during this same time period when the army was gone, um, what did Jeremiah try to do in verse 12? Yeah, Linda? Yeah, and I don't know if this is the land we had bought in that earlier chapter. Because um, I'm. Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah isn't real clear on the chronology here, but whether it was that land or was some other land. Uh, he's going to go check it out. But he didn't make it. Why? He was stopped at the gate. Captain the guard. Yeah, what was he accused of? Deserting the city. Time of siege. Um, yeah, you're going to go over to the Chaldeans. Yeah. yeah. Which, of course, wasn't true. Although we find later that he had, in fact, maybe earlier as well, he had, he had told the people, says, yeah. if you want to live... You go give up to the Chaldeans. If you stay in the in the city, you're going to die of famine and disease and sore. So you know they can understand why they might have thought he was he was taking his own advice here. Um, so from this point forward, all the way to the end, he will be in in prison. Um, so while he's in prison, then in verse 17, Zedekiah sent to ask, "Is there a word from the Lord?" Now, this is crazy. I mean, here you are. You put the guy in prison. <coughs> 
and now you want a favor from him, you know, let, let me know what the Lord's going to say. I mean, what would he expect the Lord's going to say if he's put the Lord's prophet in prison? <laughs> um, so, but Jeremiah has an interesting response. First of all, he tells him what he's been saying all along. I mean, Jeremiah does not change the message just because Zedekiah might be able to help him get out of prison. He says, you'll be given in the hand of the king of Babylon. Then he asked him in verse 18, in what way have I sinned against you? Where then are your prophets who prophesied to you saying the king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land? You remember those prophets? We dealt with those prophets quite a bit earlier. And now it's obvious to everybody they were lying. And so Jeremiah asked, you know, where are those prophets? <laughs> People have very short memories when, when it comes to things they don't want to hear. <laughs> Alright, and things get worse. Chapter 38, um, Jeremiah is thrown into a cistern. Uh, you just, your heart just goes out to this poor guy. I mean, the officials are, are in verse 4, they, they, what do they want to do to him? Yeah, they want to put him to death. Because um, he's speaking words to discourage people. So he says, this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, rather their harm. <laughs> of course, having read the book up to this point, we know that he cares very much about the people. And the Zedekiah says, well, I, I can't do anything to stop you. So they throw him in this cistern. And what happens when he gets to the bottom of the cistern in verse 6? That's mud. He just sinks in the mud. I mean, it just is horrible. Who saves his life? Ethiopian. An Ethiopian named Ebed Melech. Um, he was apparently an off officer serving the king, and so he went and asked the king. He said, "Look, he's going to die if you leave him there." So the king says, "Okay, uh, take thirty guys and get him out." I'm not sure why it takes thirty guys to get him out, although. The, the way they describe this, it sounds like he was really stuck pretty badly in the mud. And that they're, they're having to put uh, rags under his armpits so that the, you know he can handle the strain of the, of the ropes. Oh, what a... This poor guy. Of course, he's still in jail after they pull him out. But he's not in this terrible dungeon where, he's, where he would be almost certain to die. Um, and... Um, then Zedekiah sends and asks again, <laughs> is there anything else? <laughs> he, he never pays any attention to what Jeremiah says, but he always wants to ask more. And this time, Jeremiah has a very specific thing for him to do. And it's a very simple thing. What does he tell him to do? Yeah. You personally go out there and surrender to the, to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And you'll save the city, you'll save your household. If you don't do that, the whole city's going to get burned. That's all he had to do, just go out. Did he do it? No, of course well, not. He did go out of the city. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't have any choice. Um, no, he's just... Zedekiah, the, the one characteristic that you, you get out of him in this chapter is that he's just a very weak person. Just... No backbone at all. Just he just gets tossed back and forth. But Jeremiah warns him what's going to happen in verse twenty two. Behold, all the women who have been left in the palace of the king of Judah are going to be brought out to the offices of the king of Babylon. 
And those women will say, your close friends have misled and overpowered you. While your feet were sunk in the mire, they turned back. What he's, what he's trying to tell Zedekiah is that what I'm telling you to do is not just for your own good, it's for the good of, of the women in your household, of the women in the city and all that. Uh, his decision is going to be very harmful to them because he refuses to, to do what um, Jeremiah and of course the Lord tells him to do. It's going to be very harmful for them. And of course, he didn't do it. Alright, so now the, the next section is called the fall of Jerusalem and its aftermath. So, chapter 39, Jerusalem is captured. Um, and the first two verses give us a chronology. The, the siege began when? 11th year. Yeah, Linda? The ninth year. Yeah, ninth year, tenth month. And it finished when? Eleventh year, fourth month. So that's a six-month period. So the siege has lasted for six months, during which they ran out of food. Uh, I mean, we learned in the previous chapter they, there was no bread left in the city. Um, and f- finally, they managed to make a breach in the wall. So in in they come. And what does Zedekiah do as soon as they come in? Yeah, he goes out the back door. Yeah, he says he went out the gate between the two walls. I don't know where that is, but apparently they knew. And it says he went out toward the Arabah. Now, here is a relief map of, of the area. Uh, what city was Zedekiah in when this took place? Jerusalem. Everything's going on in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's the capital right there. Now, you see down here this green area is called the Arabah. That green is, is the lowest elevation. Um, but he ended up getting, he was caught in Jericho. So apparently when Arabah included this whole area, it's basically the, this is the Jordan Valley. From Jericho, I don't know where he was going to go. My guess is he was going to go across, uh, across the Jordan and hope he could you know, hide out somewhere in, in some other country. But he got caught and brought back. And so then, um, in verse 6, He's at a new place. And what's this place? Ribla. Uh, which is not on this map because it's way up. Here's Jerusalem down here by the Dead Sea. Ribla is way up here. Um, way, way out of the, out of the land. I mean, it, it's... Uh, this whole area is called the Fertile Crescent. And... Um, there's there's Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar's capital was, so Riblah was part way back to his his capital, and he apparently used that as a staging area, brought all, brought all these captives in, and then pronounced judgment. And what was the judgment on Zedekiah? Kill his sons first. Yeah, kill his sons, and then blinded him, and put him in fetters of bronze taken to Babylon, which he did end up in Babylon. That's where he died. Um, but in verse 10, he's, he still left a few people behind. Who were those? The very poorest to take care of the place. Um, what about Jeremiah? They gave him a choice. Yeah. 
Come with us or stay? And what did he choose? Yeah, he's going to stay behind with the poorest of the people. And and who's in charge? Who's the governor in charge? Gedaliah. <clears throat> yeah, Gedaliah is um, the grandson of a guy named um, Shaphan, who was one of the officers uh, in the reign of Josiah. Interesting enough, that Josiah was the good king. Shaphan apparently was a good guy. And um, I don't know anything necessarily bad about Gedaliah. He, he, he seems you okay. Um, in fact, one of the commentaries I read, I didn't look this up, but said that Gedaliah's father, Ahikam, had actually spoken up on Jeremiah's behalf earlier. I forget when that that happened, but that may have been when they were trying to kill him and they mentioned um, that that guy Uriah that had gotten killed by Jehoiakim. And then finally, verses 16 through 18, God remembers somebody for good. And who is that? Ebed Melech, the guy who had saved. Jeremiah's life. And so what does he get as reward from the Lord? He gets his life, yeah. Nobody's getting like, you know, megabucks lottery winnings (laughs) in this book. All they're getting is their life. But that's more than most people are getting. It's a terrible time. It's a terrible time. Um, Alright, so then we go to chapter 40. And this is about Jeremiah remaining behind. in Judah. That's in verse 6. He stayed where Gedaliah was. Um, and in verse 7, we learn that there are some other people that didn't get captured by Nebuchadnezzar. There were some army uh, commanders with their forces who were out in the field. They weren't in Jerusalem. And I'm sure they knew how to stay away from the Babylonian army. So once Nebuchadnezzar leaves, they all come back. Now, they didn't come back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem had burned down, but they came back to where Gedaliah was, which we're going to learn later was in Mizpah. I'll show you a map in a moment on that. Um, oh, here it is in verse 8. Yeah, it mentions Mizpah. Um, so, um, we'll get some names of these a little bit later uh, of some of these people. Um, in verse 11, there were some others who came back. And who were these other people? Yeah, when the siege was coming, they ran off to the foreign nations, and then when it, when the whole thing was over, they came back. I don't know how many there is, but it certainly helped to add to the numbers of the people that had been left behind. And they all came back, and they're and at the end of verse twelve, they're getting ready for winter by gathering as much uh, summer produce as they can. Um, but then in verse fourteen. Johanan, who was one of the commanders who had been out in the field, he warns Gedaliah about somebody. Who, who's the guy he warns him about? Ishmael. Ishmael. Who, who apparently was another army commander. But, what does he say Ishmael's going to do? He's going to murder Gedaliah, the governor, because he's been hired by who? He's been hired by Baalus, who is the king of Ammon. Foreign place. Um, and so what did Gedaliah do about that? <laughs> he didn't believe it. That's not true. He would never do such a thing as that. So in the next chapter, Gedaliah is murdered. 
<laughs> exactly the way Johanan had warned him. Wow. Um, so, um, we're going to have to look at a map for this. So, now this map comes actually from the, the, from the reign of Saul, but it was the only map I could find that had the cities we need because uh, the action is taking place in... Not my point. My battery's run down. I don't have a pointer anymore. <laughs> the action is taking place in the region of, of Benjamin. So uh, the reason Gibeah is started because that was Saul's capital, but it's not a capital at this time. But there, nothing's going on in Jerusalem. They moved up to Mizpah, is where uh, Gedaliah was, and Gibeah is another town in in uh, this region of Benjamin that's mentioned in this story. Because Ishmael came in and. Uh, he was eating uh, with with Gedaliah, and he gets up with his ten soldiers and kills them. It's just a terrible way to behave. And then he kills a bunch more. I don't know how. By the time we're done, I don't know how many he's killed. I, the number eighty appears at some point. Although I think some of those guys managed to avoid getting killed by bribery. Um, and then he grabs everybody else's left and takes them captive. He's going to carry them off off to the king of Ammon. Well, Johanan wasn't there when that happened. He, he shows up soon after and uh, he's a good guy to the rescue. And he finally catches up with him in, at Gibeon. Um, but Ishmael gets away and he goes off to Ammon, which is way over here on the, on the east. You see Ammon over there. Um, so they... Johanan brings everybody back. They're all glad to be rescued. Of course, it was too late for Gedaliah. Um, and they end up down at Bethlehem, a little bit south of Jerusalem. It's the city of Gareth Kimham, which I don't think is mentioned anywhere else that I know of. Um, and where are they going to go? Yeah, they're, they're off for Egypt. Um, why can't they stay in the land? Well, they're afraid of the king of Babylon because the governor he appointed just got murdered. Yeah, yeah, he appointed the governor. He's not going to be very happy if someone that you know one of the Jews has killed him. Plus, there were some Babylonian soldiers there that Ishmael also killed. So this is not going to be good. So they figured the safest thing is to get away. We we've had nothing but trouble as long as we've been here. We're going to Egypt. But before they go to Egypt. Um, let me see here. Um, they ask. They ask Jeremiah about this. This is chapter forty-two. Um, so in verse two, please let our petition come before you and pray for us, to the Lord your God, because we need to know what to do. Maybe we want the Lord to tell us what to do, and that's exactly what you should do. Of course, everyone's read ahead. No, what's going to happen here? But, um, but what do they promise in verses five and six? They will do whatever the Lord says. Yeah, even if it's bad. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Whatever the God says, it's in, our lives are in God's hands. We're going to do what God wants us to do. You know. So you know, this is of course in the days before the bracelet. What would Jesus do? But that is basically what they were they were saying. You know, we're going to do what the Lord tells us to do. This is super. Um, and it takes the Lord a while to answer. How long, in fact? Ten days. Yeah, ten days. I don't know why he he has his reasons. I'm sure. 
And the end result was, what did God tell them to do? Stay in the land. And would they have war if they stay in the land? He's promising them peace. Nebuchadnezzar isn't going to give you trouble. Uh, on the other hand, if you go to Egypt, which of course they wouldn't do because they promised, but if they did go to Egypt, what would happen? Disaster. It would be just disaster. But interesting enough, by the time you end this up, it sounds like Jeremiah knows exactly what they're going to do. I assume the Lord told him. Um, in verse 20, what's he say about them? Yeah, you've just deceived yourselves. You know, claiming you're going to do what the, what God wants you to do. I know you're not. You haven't obeyed the Lord yet. You're not going to obey Him now. And so, moving on to chapter 43, titled "The People Go to Egypt," <laughs> that's exactly what, what what Jeremiah said. Is exactly what happened. Um, now, how do they excuse themselves? I mean, everybody has an excuse if they're going to do something that you know that God tells them not to do. They have to have some excuse. So, what's their excuse? You lied. Yeah, you lied. God didn't say this. <laughs> now, of course, that would. To start out, when they were convinced Jeremiah was going to tell them the truth, but no, God didn't. God didn't say that. Um, Baruch is the one that got you to say that. I don't know enough about the politics to know why they're blaming Baruch, but I, I don't see why he should be any worse than Jeroboam. But anyway, um, we can't stay here; it'll be disaster. So, I mean, the bottom line is they just simply do not believe God. And the only way you could stay in the land would be to really have faith in God because it looked like it would be a very dangerous thing to do. They didn't have that kind of faith. They didn't have any faith at all with that. <laughs> so, here we have the map where you see Babylon's in pink and Egypt is in green. Egypt's about the only choice. If you want to get out of Babylon, you go to Egypt. And... We learned that when they went to Egypt, they went to a city called Tophanes, which um, the city doesn't actually exist today, but if it did, it would be right on the edge of the Suez Canal. That's right where the Suez Canal goes through. Um, and in chapter 43, Jeremiah did something that was symbolic. What, what was it? That, I mean, he did a real thing, but it had a symbolic meaning. What, what did he do? Yeah. He hit some stones. He hit some stones where? Before the palace. Yeah, in the brick terrace, which is at the entrance of Pharaoh's palace. Now, I don't know, you know whether Pharaoh was on vacation at the time and didn't notice somebody digging up. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe they were doing construction. and <laughs> I'm not sure how he worked this out. But he put these stones out there. He says, here's on top of these stones where Nebuchadnezzar is going to put his uh, camp when he comes here. He'll spread his canopy over them. Just to let them know, you know, you thought you're getting away from Nebuchadnezzar by going here. It's not going to work. Um, which, of course, if Nebuchadnezzar comes to that means that they're going to have to face war and all that, which is exactly what he's trying to tell them. So, in chapter 44, Jeremiah predicts the conquest of Egypt. Um, and we find out some of the reasons why. What's going on here? Um, in verse 8, 
God says, you're provoking me to anger, burning sacrifice to other gods in the land of Egypt. They have been doing this before. Apparently they're still doing it after they've moved to Egypt. They're still worshiping other gods. I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to ask the Lord for guidance if they're going to worship other gods, but that was their view. So, in verse 12, he, he says it's just going to be terrible things going to happen to, um, to the remnant in Egypt. They'll become a curse, an object of horror, and an implication of reproach. Um, and in verse 16, what's their response to Jeremiah about this? We're not going to listen to you. We're going to keep on worshiping all these other gods. They specifically mention the Queen of Heaven is one that they're worshiping. And so the end result in verse 28 those who escaped the sword will return out of the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, few in number. Hard anyone's going to come back. And in in verse 30. Pharaoh Hophra, who was the Pharaoh at this time in Egypt, he's going to be handed over to Nebuchadnezzar. And finally, this section ends up with a very short chapter called Message to Baruch. And in verse 3, what was Baruch saying? Well, these many of these things were going on. Of course, this, this happened earlier, but um, this happened back in the days of Jehoiakim. But what was Baruch saying at the time? He's been suffering and yeah, oh, woe is me. Well, can you blame him? I mean, it was a terrible time. And what does the Lord tell him he's going to give him? Matthew? His life. His life. You should be happy with it. Yeah. Don't ask for great things. You get your life. And that's that'll be enough. <laughs> Whoa. They were just very difficult times. Alright, next section. Judgment against the nations. And this is the one that It'll leave, we'll leave a couple chapters of this for next time. Um, first of all, we have prophecies against Egypt. Um, now, it, it's very easy to miss some, some of these little indicators when you read along. There's two prophecies against Egypt in chapter 46. They were not given at the same time, and they didn't prophesy the same event. Um, when was the one in verse 2 given? Chapter 46, verse 2. Hilda? Yeah, and it's back in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. So this goes way back to the very very beginning of our of our chart that we showed at the beginning of this lesson. So this is a very early one, a different Pharaoh from the Pharaoh Hofer we had at the end of the previous chapter. We're going back. So that, that's the first prophecy against Egypt. Then in verse 13, um, here he's prophesying the coming of Nebuchadnezzar to smite the land of Egypt. It doesn't say when this prophecy came, but this was a different event. This would have been the same one he was talking about in the previous chapter with Pharaoh Hophra. And in for that one, in verse 24, he says, the daughter of Egypt has been put to shame given over to the power of the people of the north. In verse 26, 
I shall give them over to the power of those who are seeking their lives, even to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of his officers. After however, it will be inhabited as in the days of old, declares the Lord. So this is not a prediction that Egypt will completely cease to exist. It'll, it'll suffer, but it will be inhabited again, which of course is what we see to this day. Then the next chapter is against Philistia in chapter 47. Um, and we'll just look at a map here. Um, Philistia is on the coast. Uh, you, you can, if you look carefully between Gaza and Joppa, you can see where it says Plain of Philistia. Gaza was one of the um, cities of the Philistines. Um, and in verse 4, they're going to be destroyed. Um, that's all he says. He doesn't say they're going to come back again. He just says they're going to be destroyed. And that's going to be the end of the... the I assume that will be the end of the Philistines. And I don't, um, I don't recall them being mentioned in the history after this again. Then I need to, um, I need to show you some other... Before I leave this map, the next three prophecies are all on this map. Moab, just east of the Dead Sea. Um, Ammon, uh, northeast from Moab. Uh, and Edom at the south. And going actually off our map to the south. Those are the next three countries, and they're all in the same uh, chapter. Um, no, I, I take it back. The first one's in chapter 48, Moab, and then uh, the next ones are in the next chapter. In Moab, um, verse 4, Moab is broken. Our little ones have sounded out a cry of distress. <coughs> Jump all the way to the last verse of chapter 47. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord. So they're going to come back. They're going to be judged, but they will come back. Um, does anyone know what country today would owns that territory or where Moab was? Yeah, it's the country of Jordan. Jordan owns some. They own Moab. They own Ammon and Edom. They've got all three of those. Of those. Um, one of the poorest nations in the world because primarily because they have no water. It's one of the driest nations in the world. Um, Alright, so then chapter 49, the first six verses are against uh, Ammon. Uh, in verse 2, Therefore behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will cause a trumpet blast of war to be heard against Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. And it will become a desolate heap and her towns will be set on fire then Israel will take possession of his possessors, says the Lord. And then down to verse 6, but afterward I will restore the fortunes of the sons of Ammon, declares the Lord. So they'll get to come back again. And I'm pretty sure they're mentioned in the book of Ezra. I don't have a reference, but I think I recall someone from Ammon being in there. So they did come back. And then we have Edom, in verse, starting in verse 7. And in verse 12, the prophecy against Edom is introduced. Behold, those who were not sentenced to drink the cup will certainly drink it. And are you the one who will be completely acquitted? You will not be acquitted, but you will certainly drink it. Edom had been watching all these other nations falling, and Edom's attitude was, ah, it's not going to happen to us. And God says, uh, yes, I think it is. If all these other countries are having to drink this cup, so will you. One thing to notice 
This judgment that God brought in was not just a judgment against His people. It was against all the nations of the world. And there have been several times in history when God has done this, when He has judged all the nations of the world. The first one, of course, is the most famous. Remember what, what that one was? Yeah, Noah's flood judged all the nations of the world. He promised He wouldn't do it again with a flood, but He didn't promise He wouldn't judge the nations. And so we see this happening here. And there have been a number of other occasions when there's been very widespread judgment by God. I was reading an article on Wikipedia recently about the Black Plague in, in Europe in the, uh, I think, 12th and 13th centuries, maybe 14th. Uh, they said that between one-third and one-half of the entire population died of that plague. Sure, that's a judgment from God. And, and it affected all these different nations. And in fact, it, was, it affected more than just Europe. It affected the Arabian countries. They, they think the plague itself started in China. God was, God was judging. He was judging the world. Alright, back to Edom. Um, verse 13, I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra will become an object of horror or reproach, a ruin and a curse. All its cities will become perpetual ruins. And verse 16, As for the terror of you, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you, O you who live in the clefts of the rock, who occupy the height of the hill. Though you make your nest as high as an eagle's eye will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Um, and then finally, in verse 18, Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, says the Lord, no one will live there, nor will a son of man reside in it. So they're not going to come back, is what this is saying. I've got a couple of pictures here. Uh, this is the way you get into the city of Petra. Uh, only tourists go there now. Nobody's living there. Um, this is a very famous narrow pass to get in there. And of course, you can imagine, if you're in the city of Petra, you just station a few guys up at the top with some big rocks. <laughs> army comes in and you just drop it on them. And, and that's, how, that's why I saying, oh, you who live in the clefts of the rock, you, know, you think you're safe. This is very strange. In fact, this this narrow area was in one of the um, Indiana Jones movies. I don't know how many other movies have it, but it was the one where they were finding the cup, the chalice. That movie only only I only saw part of that one time, but I did see this. I had a great shot of them riding their horses through this. And then I think this was also in the uh, Indiana Jones movie. This this temple was not actually there in Jeremiah's day. It was built sometime between the time of Jeremiah and the time of Christ. Um, there's, a there's a bunch of very famous, these are all tourists, they don't live there. <laughs> Nobody lives there. But uh, the, the, they had a lot of these temples carved right into the sandstone uh, walls. But it, it's been completely deserted. What happened is the trade routes moved. Edom was making their money off of uh, caravans coming through. They could tax these. And, and the caravans took a different route and Edom just completely died. It doesn't exist anymore. So that's Edom. Um, then there's Damascus um, in verse 23. And on the map, Damascus is way up here, up, uh, northeast of uh, Palestine. And then the next one is against Kedar and Hazor in verses 20-33. And Hazor is right here just north of the Sea of Galilee. Hazor was going to be destroyed. And then 
the last prophecy is, well, all right, we've got Kedar and Hazar, and then the last prophecy is Elam, which this one, you'd be surprised where this one is. <laughs> Way over here, east of Babylon, <laughs> that's Elam. And I'm not sure why Elam was included in, the, in these lists when all the other nations are all around Jerusalem. Unless possibly uh, the people of Judah have been hoping that Elam would help beat up Nebuchadnezzar, and, and it turns out it's gonna, they're going to lose out themselves. And that finishes the prophecies up to the point where we had read. So next week we'll do prophecy against Babel. In fact, next week we finish Jeremiah and we do all of Lamentations as well. Any last questions or comments? All right, well, I appreciate everyone's help.